Hello, everyone, and welcome to our brand new Modern Love radio program. We changed from good love to modern love because love is different now. So for the rest of this year, and we'll see how far into the future, we're going to talk about modern love. And, of course, we want to say modern love make it good, because it is up to us to make love what we really want it to be, which is why it is so wonderful to bring you part two of our conversation with Neil Donald Walsh, one of the most beloved spiritual luminaries in our world today, so that we launch modern love with a great conversation that will help you make it good in 2015. Our conversation today is about God's message for happiness and love. If you listen to the very last show of 2014, you know that Neil Donald Walsh is the author of the monumental global best-selling series, Conversations with God. Neil's work has taken him from the steps of Machu Picchu in Peru to the steps of the Shinto shrines of Japan, from the Red Square in Moscow to St. Peter's Square in Vatican City, to Tiananmen Square in China. Because the conversations for God are for everyone, and everywhere Neil has gone, from South Africa to Norway, he has experienced a hunger among people to find a new way to live. And we need that new way to live right here in America, more now than ever. And wherever you may be, As part of our Modern Love audience, we're grateful to have you. I say Happy New Year to you. And in this conversation, we might end up not just with a Happy New Year, but a Happy New You. So, Neil, tell us a little bit about happiness in terms of your understanding from your conversations with God. Uh, well, first of all, thank you uh, for that uh, very sweet introduction, Brenda. I appreciate it. I only wish I could live up to those words, but we're going to pretend that I do and move forward from there. <laughs> happiness happiness to me is um, a creation and not a reaction. Many people have felt and still do that happiness is how we feel in response to something or another that's occurring in or around our life. But what I've been told in my conversations with God is that happiness is not a reaction, it's a creation. Those are two interesting words, by the way. The word react and create are the exact same words, only the uh, the C and the R and the I have gotten mixed up. Isn't that interesting? Now, for those who missed the first half of our conversation, would you fill people in on how you came to these conversations with God? Because you have an unbelievable story, and we're going to have a little update on your story in just a moment that I'm going to share with our audience. Well, briefly, uh, I found myself living on the street as a result of an automobile accident. I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost my relationship, all in the same three-month period. Uh, and then I had this terrible automobile accident in which I broke my neck. And finally, after being on the street about a year, I found a little job back in the broadcasting industry, uh, where I had been employed prior to my accident, 
And um, so I was back at work again, but I realized then the utter vacuousness of life. I just thought, my gosh, is this all there really is? And as a result of that confrontation, at the age of 51, I I simply called out to God, as many of us have done in our lives. I I happened to write it down because it was 4 o'clock in the morning or 4.20 in the morning, and I was writing on a yellow legal pad that I found uh, on the coffee table in front of me in the middle of the night in a moment of despair. And I wrote down, what does it take to make life work? And I, I began to hear a voice over my right shoulder, as I described in the first program, Uh, And the voice said, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? And I thought, okay, now I'm really losing my mind. I could have sworn I just heard someone there. Well, I believe to this very day that somehow or another that experience was real for me at some level. And that voice, that presence, if I could call it that, that sense of awareness and openness to consciousness then began to move into and fill all the farthest, deepest reaches of my own mind. The result of which was I began to ask questions of that particular essence that I was experiencing. What does it take to make life work? What's the true purpose of life? And many other questions. Questions, frankly, that I never dreamt existed. And the answers came to me rapidly and immediately so fast that I had to write them down as quickly as I could on that yellow legal pad. Uh, I, I felt like I was taking dictation, actually. But even as I received answers, other questions arose in my mind in response to those answers. And before I knew it, uh, Brenda, I was involved in a question-answer, question-answer, question-answer kind of a, an experience that went on for a very long time, many, many hours at a time, uh, and continues, by the way, to this very day. Now, uh, 20 years later, this is the 20th anniversary, 2015 is the 20th anniversary of the publication of the first Oh, my goodness, congratulations. I didn't realize it had been 20 years. Yes, thank That's you. That's remarkable, and you have touched... So many lives. The books are in 37 different languages, and there are over 29 books now in the series. And Neil went from losing everything and being on the street to being not only the best-selling author, but he lives in Southern Oregon with his his wife, M. Claire, who's one of America's newest poetic voices. You can check her out at www.mclairepoet. Now that's E M. C-L-A-I-R-E-P-O-E-T, mclairepoet.com. They're traveling extensively, speaking to audiences and sharing messages of conversations with God as well as offering the healing messages held within M's poetry. Now, I'm bringing M up because you went from losing everything to having a wonderful relationship with someone where there's synergy and our focus today is on relationships and spirituality. So how do you and M maintain a dynamic connection? Um, Through honesty, transparency, uh, a a willingness to experience uh, the fundamental truth of the universe, which is that we are all one. That is a willingness to drop any sense or thought that there is any fundamental difference between us and a deep desire to continue seeing the person across the room, the person on the other side of the kitchen or on the other side of the bed, for that matter, as another expression of self and not someone other than the self. So whenever um, I do have a small uh, uh, spat or a little disagreement with him, and it happens between all people, that's very common and very natural. I have never had a disagreement with anyone. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. 
Well, see, you are one of the very few, and, mm. and I, I also saw you walking on water last week. That's so right. That's exactly right. I had that water. <laughs> I, I'm glad I have you on the phone here. I have some questions to ask you. We're out here. But for those of us who are more human and have had those disagreements, what I have learned in my life and what Em and I practice all the time is I, the first thing I ask myself when I see my wife acting in a way that I wish she weren't acting in a way like that, I wish she were acting differently, the first thing I ask myself is, have I ever seen myself act like this? Am, am I familiar with this territory? That is challenging, everybody. Write that down. When somebody is ticking you off by how they're acting, ask yourself, have I ever acted that way? Ooh, that's humbling, isn't it, Neil? Well, yes, especially when when I asked the second question, did I feel justified in doing so? <laughs> and I, I always did. In my case, it's, it's, it's she who's not justified, but I was always justified when I acted that way. Well, when I'm humble enough to simply look into the face of that experience and say, yes, you know, I have to acknowledge, of course, I've acted that way. And, of course, when I did, I felt justified or I wouldn't have done it. Can I then grant the other person, can I grant to my beloved other, the same kind of reception and receptivity that I would have begged her to grant me when I was in that space. Mm. We do that for each other. We also have another uh, very, very important rule in our marriage, and the rule is this. We never leave the room when there's a disagreement, not physically and not emotionally. There's no, no, there's no, thing, no such thing as cutting the other person off emotionally or to say nothing of actually walking out of the room. So we have this rule that, no, 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 we do not leave the room. And and so we stay there and talk it through if it literally takes until 3 or 30 or 4 in the morning, and there have been times when it did, to really work it through and to work it through with honesty, authenticity, charity, and love. And now, then, let me say this, if you don't mind, for the people who know now some of us, certainly it's never happened to me, some of us might need to leave the room and take those proverbial 10 deep breaths, walk around the block, take a shower, drink some water or tea, whatever you need to do to make sure you're in the zone to work it through. So you know yourself, if you're that person who goes from 0 to 100 in a split second, get yourself back down in the safe zone to sit and talk with your partner. Sometimes you need to put the brake on. So let me just put that out there. I, and I don't disagree with you. If you know yourself to be that exactly that kind of a person who goes from zero to 100 uh, in, a, in a moment or two, you do need to take that brief time out. But even then, when you leave the room, to, if you possibly can, to not leave the room in anger so the other person feels rejected, made wrong, rebuffed, and told off, but to just say to that person, look, can I just have a half hour or 20 minutes or whatever it takes? Can we have a brief time out here? I do want to discuss this. I do want to look at it more closely. I'm not ready right now to do that. Can we have a time out? If you can, if you can leave the room in love, it's not always easy to do, but if you, even if it's what I want to call angry love. You know, you don't get angry at anybody if you don't care about them. You very, very seldom do. Anger is an expression of love, and it's an indication of love. But if you can say, even if you say it in an angry way, look, I need a time out right now because I love you too much to get into this conversation in the mood I'm now in, and then walk away, the other person can at least feel honored and held in a space that they can accept and embrace. Then you yeah. go back into the room, you can start over in a whole different way. I like that, Neil. I like it. Even if you have to say it in an angry way, make the space, get yourself in it. I call it the connection zone where you know 
you are able to connect with the other person and you're going to be able to be in that connection in a way that's going to be productive. So for you and M, you have these rules around being honest, being transparent, asking questions like, have I shown up that way and did I feel justified? Oh, that's a good one. Of course we feel justified. We're always justified. So what is the key to happiness and love? Because you've said there's a key that very few people have embraced and that they've never heard about. What is that key? It's a simple statement. It's a simple six-word statement. And I, I got it directly from the source of wisdom, highest understanding within myself that I refer to as God. And the simple six-word statement, but I ask, God, see, I ask God the same question you just asked. You know, what, what is it that I don't fully understand? What is it that I don't fully understand about relationships and how to make them work? And for that matter, life and how to make it work, the understanding of which would change everything. God said to me, all right, are you sitting down? Yeah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Here it is. Your life is not about you. Oh. Wow. That's already quite challenging. And what is it about? I know you think your life is about you, Neil, she said. But imagine that your life has nothing to do with you but that it's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. When you shift the axis of your experience and your whole raison d'etre, your whole reason for being, when you understand perfectly clearly that you are already complete, you are whole, complete, and perfect just as you are standing there. There is nothing you need to do, nothing you need to learn, nothing you need to understand, Nothing you need to be. So say that again. You, you are already whole, complete, complete, and perfect. And perfect. That is a lot to take in. Everyone take a breath and breathe it in. And just, you might even want to put your hand on your heart and just breathe in. I am already whole, complete, and perfect, just as I am. That is very very powerful, Neil, because working day in and day out with couples in our seminars, retreats, workshops, etc., I have discovered that most people come to their relationships feeling they're lacking, and the relationship is a place they're trying to get, trying to get full. And just imagine, everyone, if you could come to your relationship the way Neil just described it. I am already whole, complete, and perfect. And my life is not about me. See, the purpose of a relationship, the fundamental purpose of a relationship, is not to get anything. Relationship doesn't exist as a means by which we somehow gather or obtain anything whatsoever. The purpose of relationship, I was told, is so that we have a place, a context within which we can give everything. And it creates a, a field, a field of experience within which we can put the highest thought we ever had about who we are by expressing the highest thought we ever had about who our beloved is. And when we use relationship for that purpose, something ironic occurs. Something extraordinary happens. 
all the things we thought we had to search for, yearn for, reach for, and try for in relationship come to us automatically, us even efforting at it. We therefore do not have to find a way to get anything out of relationship, but to give everything in relationship. And then what we receive from the relationship comes to, this is, by the way, the same thing in life, not just in romantic relationships and personal relationships, but in life itself. I was saying uh, a little bit earlier in an earlier part of our conversation, Brenda, that I have learned in my life that it's not about get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better house, get the better car. That's not what life is about. That life, in fact, has nothing to do with any of that. That 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 life has, is about seeking to use every golden moment of now to express and experience the highest thought we ever had about who we are. And, and that is, that, yeah, keep going. I, I just am sitting here going, every golden moment of now. And for so many people, this is going to require some shifting to even experience the golden moment of now. Because as we're launching 2015, complete your thought, but also tell us, Neil, how do people get to the golden moment of now? By realizing that it's right here, that it's not tomorrow. Hmm by noticing that the golden moment of now is occurring in this exact moment, that this is it, and that if you're not expressing your true purpose in life in this moment right now, which has nothing to do with you in the smallest sense, nothing to do with local you, and everything to do with universal you, if you are not expressing your true fundamental purpose in this moment right now, then you have moved through the moment in a way that causes it to bring you far less in return. Now the purpose, I'm going to circle back, the purpose is my life is not about me. It's about everyone my life touches and essentially how I can be of service to those people, yes? Yes. Okay, so take take it back now, back in the old Southern Baptist church I grew up in, we had this thing when the preacher was preaching the sermon. We'd say, take us home, Rev. Take us home, Neil. Put together happiness and love from the perspective of your conversations with God. Now, everybody, you know you want happiness. You know you want love. We're talking about it in a different way today. Neil's talking about it from being clear. You're already whole, complete, and perfect. You're in the golden moment of now. It's the only moment. Being very clear that your partnership isn't about trying to get something. So how do we bring happiness together with love, Neil? I'm loving everything you're saying. It's so inspiring. I think that the first thing we have to understand is what it is we are seeking to experience. What causes us the ultimate expression of happiness is knowing ourselves experientially as divine. Mm. I'm put it in one single sentence. Nothing makes any of us happier than knowing ourselves experientially as divine. And we know ourselves experientially as divine when we understand that life is not about us, but about everyone whose life we touch, including that person across the kitchen or across the pillow. And the way in which we interact with them 
we know ourselves that way because if we are expressing our highest experience of divinity, we understand that we need nothing. Need evaporates from our own human experience. We have no needs whatsoever any more than divinity has any needs. Now, the irony of this is that when we move through life in that way, that which we thought we needed, which we imagined that we needed to be our smaller version of happiness, falls in on us automatically. Or as someone far more articulate than I will ever be once said, and he put it beautifully, seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. So what I've learned in my life is that when I move through my life with a single and only intention, dear God, allow me to find a way in this moment to express myself as the highest version and experience of divinity of which I am currently capable. So when we are expressing happiness, we are experiencing We're happiness. Experiencing we, we, happiness. We, 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 uh, there's no greater happiness than that. And and as well, when we do that, the other things that happen in our life, the response of our loved one, the return we get from life itself, causes us to have even more and more and more physical and emotional happiness as well. I have a question that I ask myself. I need to put this in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I have a single question that I ask myself before I have any conversation, before I read any book, before I watch any television program, before I eat any meal, before I put on any clothes, before I do anything, before I think, say, or do anything, I ask myself a fundamental question. What, what does is this it? have to do? Oh, <laughs> I'm dying to Here's- know. Here's the question. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? Hmm. If the answer comes back, well, actually, not very much, I don't do it. I don't think it and I don't say it. I measure everything I think, say, and do by a single yardstick. What does this have to do with the agenda of my And again, the agenda of the soul is to live our lives in lives of service to others. Now, what about the people who are starting 2015 and feeling there's no soul agenda, feeling kind of lost, feeling unhappy? I know you have an exercise that can very quickly shift people, an exercise from the Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. Tell us about that exercise because... This time of year, for many, many people, is the time when there are more relationship breakdowns, more depression. Sadly, more people choose to take their lives in January than any other time. But yet we all want this year to be our best year yet. So start us with an exercise that everyone could do for the rest of the year to shift our energy and get closer to recognizing that we are already whole and complete, just as we are. Well, I'm not sure, because I've written 30 books, which one you're talking about. Well, you've got, I'll tell you, because I really love it. It's the smile exercise. Yeah, the smile exercise. Yeah, that one really was, well, it struck me because it's simple. Yes. And it engages everything. Here's what people need to know. The very act of smiling actually creates endorphins. It actually has a biochemical effect, not just a psychological effect, but a physiological effect on the human body. That is, it sends energy coursing through us in a very positive way. So the exercise is 
smile five times a day for no good reason. For no reason at all. Not just in response to a, a joke that you found funny or something you found pleasant to look at or in, in some other... Smile then, too, of course. But smile five times a day for no good reason. For no reason whatsoever. Just simply smile. And allow, allow yourself to have that smile for no good reason. What will happen is you will find after a period of time, and not not years, but days, weeks, or months at the most, that your entire experience and expression of yourself as you move through life is uplifted. And I have another another uh, little exercise as well that I uh, that I recommend to people: sing. I want you to sing at least three times a day. I I really want you to sing three times a day. I sing three times a day in my morning shower. My wife puts up with it. She hears me from the other room. She goes, here he goes again with his morning concert. (laughs) I sing in the shower every morning. I sing in the car. Wherever I'm going someplace, I don't sing to the radio. I just sing a cappella. I just sing some of my favorite songs in the car. And often I will sing just walking around the house and doing stuff, doing the dishes, cleaning up the kitchen. Ah, yes, I do that. And when I'm doing my kitchen... There you go, a modern man, Neil. I'm happy to hear it. Well, my wife and I share all of those chores, and when it's my day to do the kitchen, I'll, I'll sing. I, and I, so if I sing three times a day, you know, it's almost impossible, almost impossible to stay in a negative experience, to stay in the experience of fear. All right, everybody, I want you right now while you're listening to Neil to start smiling. Start yeah. smiling right now and keep that big smile on your face and let your brain start producing endorphins and by the way neil you know the other side of that research which is when you're smiling somebody said it in a song the whole world smiles with you because when you walk down the street with a smile on your face you'd be surprised how many people will smile back and if you're in a relationship this is a great way to shift the energy in the relationship if you're in breakdown better still this is how we make it good Keep smiling, and you're less likely to have a relationship breakdown. And you're less likely to have, in fact, negativity at any level in your life, even even when the exterior circumstances might seem to be calling for that. Judge not by appearances, because appearances have nothing to do with reality. It's just what it looks like. My favorite prayer is, thank you, God, for helping me to understand that this problem has already been solved for me. Nice one. That's a great one to write down. Thank you, God. This problem has already been solved for me. So, Neil Donald Walsh, you have so many wonderful resources. I know M has her beautiful poems at mclairepoet.com. You've got conversationswithgod.com. You have your own conversations with God where everybody can go and have their own conversation. But you also have an event coming up in Seattle, my second home. I'm a graduate of the University of Washington and the University of Puget Sound. And you've got an event. It's January 23rd, 24th in Seattle, and it's called God's Message to the World. So if you are in the Great Northwest or you can get yourself to the Great Northwest for that, sign up and enjoy the direct transmission, if you will, of Neil Donald Walsh and his beautiful spiritual message for the world. It is so inspiring, Neil, because it's challenging for each one of us to say, am I generating happiness? 
Am I showing up as the love I want to experience? And knowing we're already whole, complete, and perfect just as we are. That's a lot to start 2015 with, everybody. Neil Donald Walsh, thank you so very much. You're so generous. Lovely to be here with you. Oh, thank you. And everyone, if you would like to join us for our very first intensive seminar in 2015, Ignite Your Dreams in 2015, how you can build your own virtual miracle map in 2015. You will literally leave the workshop at the end of the two days with that miracle map in your hand. So you can put it up on your ceiling or your wall next to your bed someplace you'll see it when you first wake up and first go to sleep to stay in this consciousness that Neil has been sharing with us. It is important to hold it. So smile, 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 sing, 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 Blessings and love to all of you, to you, Neil, and to M. Thank her for her gift of poetry. And thank you to LeGrand Green, our brilliant producer, to Mr. Cliff Dunning, our associate producer. And we are so happy to welcome you all to Modern Love. Make it good, everybody.